So one thing I know for sure that living in Northeast Ohio, that we know potholes, don't we? And uh, we, we know that you've heard the joke that in Northeast Ohio, there's two seasons, right? There's winter and there's construction, right? And uh, when, when I was in Ensenada, Cal, um, Mexico, I was on a missions trip when we had five new rented minivans and we were traveling in Ensenada and the road that we were on was notorious. It looked like a, ba- a war had taken place and this was the leftovers of the war. The, 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 the drive that you were trying to travel down, it was ugly. We'll just say that. Worse than most of the things we've seen in Northeast Ohio. And we were driving together. I was leading the pack and I received a phone call. So there are five vehicles back, back to back to back and received a phone call from the one in the back. And they said, oh, uh, Sean, uh, the, the vehicle in front of us is, there's, there's something come out, coming out of it. Now, I'm no mechanic, but uh, I'm, I know it enough to at least ask this question. What color is it? And they said it's black, which is a bad sign, right? So oil's coming out. And then the car beside them said, and the airbags have deployed. So no one was hurt, but can you imagine hitting a pothole on the road hard enough that it deployed the airbags. That's pretty ugly, isn't it? Now, now you can contrast that with in your life once that construction gets done. We've all had that privilege of being on one of those roads that's newly painted, it's sealed, it's perfect. And it's, you, you, you travel on it and you say, this is what it was designed to do, right? Like this is, this is awesome. And to contrast the two, this morning as we study God's word together, we're going to see that there is a reality for some of us that we are living a little bit like that road that is full of potholes, that that we're experiencing life going through it ounce by ounce, day by day, trying to function. In Northeast Ohio, I had a tire that was blown from hitting a pothole. And when I took it into the shop, there were multiple other people who'd hit that same pothole and it had destroyed their tires. And I can't help but think for some of us with what we've been experiencing that, that we're just getting beat up right now. But I want to encourage you today. We're going to look at a combination that's beautiful in Scripture, a combination that is God's design for the person who's not just surviving life, but thriving in their life. That the combination is to be a person that is full of faith and full of the Spirit. I love this statement. The the sermon title this morning is Filled. And, and I love this statement. There was, a pastor, there was a, there's a pastor in our district in the Christian and Missionary Alliance who, if you saw him, you wouldn't think he looked much like what you'd expect a pastor to look like. Tats everywhere. He's had spent time in prison. He was a pretty hard guy. But, but his story is incredible because he would share a time of great uh, struggle with addiction, alcohol abuse, and, and he really had almost ended his life in that way. But then he had someone who shared the gospel with him. His life was radically changed. And now he serves as a pastor in in a church in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I I was actually really sensitive when I heard him share his testimony because a part of my story is that my grandfather was a pastor at one time and he was an alcoholic. He ended up basically drinking himself to death uh, when my dad was a young man. And so when I heard this story, like, tell me the story, what happened And he shared the story of of how Christ invaded his life, but then he said this to me, and I want you to hear this statement this morning. This is going to be the central point of the sermon that we, we go through together today, and that is full people lack nothing. 
To, to understand what he's saying is he's saying, Sean, when, when the Lord came into my life, those, those spaces that were empty, that I was trying to fill with things that could not satisfy, that when I came to Christ, what happened was that I found myself being filled. And that statement is incredibly encouraging to me today. That we can be people, we're going to see this about the man named Barnabas, that, that he was a man who was called a great man. It says it in the text, and he's going to be a man who is described as being full of faith and full of the Spirit. In other words, he was exactly who God designed him to be. And that wasn't just because he was a, a spectacular man, but it was because he was a man that chose to function in the fullness of God's calling in his life. I believe every person that is here has a purpose in their life, that God has built within them, that they have a calling in their life, that God has designed them for a purpose. And his desire is for them to function in that fully. In John 10, 10, it says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. And that today is what we're going to see when we study an ancient book that has a powerful living message for you and I of hope. A message for you and I when things seem to go extremely be difficult, challenging. We don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, which is actually was the case in this time period as well. They're, they're at a time period, we're going to see this, where there was persecution in the church in such a way that they had left their homes. They had forsaken what was familiar, their jobs, their homes, their families, their, their history. And they go hundreds of miles away. And what you'd anticipate with someone who had experienced that is you would anticipate that they'd just give up, that they'd hunker down, that they'd pursue ways to just kind of fall underneath the radar. But what we get to see in the text today is that they actually stood up and they declared the truth of the gospel, even though they had been pushed out of Jerusalem because of the gospel. And what ends up happening is the gospel grows and God's church grows and great things happen in the midst of it. If you're paying attention to the sermon this morning, I think you're going to be encouraged by the fact that God's intent for you today, in this day, during all the things that are happening in our country and around the world, that God's intent for you is to fulfill his purpose that he's placed in your life. That you have a purpose today. You have a calling. You have a gifting that God's poured into you. And if you understand that, I believe whatever life throws at you, you can succeed in the midst of that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 19. And I will remind you as we go through this that God understands your circumstances and he wants to do something in your life that's significant. Listen to this. It says this in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that had arose over Stephen. You remember the story of Stephen. He was he was, he was put to death because of his faith, that he had represented, uh, recognized his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was public about his faith. God was using him, and then he was put to death because of his faith. And what the author of the book of Acts is doing here, Luke, is that he's going to take us back to a time, kind of a flashback, to to what was happening then in the church. So we see it was a time of great persecution and what happened was that as they spread out, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So it began, like we'd read in other cases in Acts, where first the message was for the Jews, and then it would spread to the Gentiles. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch. They spoke to the Hellenists, in other words, the Gentiles, 
also, this is great, they're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. That word at the beginning of this is really important, scattering. So here they were, many of them had lived their entire lives growing up in Jerusalem. This was familiar, this was home, this was comfortable, there was history there, their jobs were there, their lives were there. And then when they associate with Christ, what happens is it says in the text that they were scattered, right? That they're dispersed, they're spread out around the world. The distance that this represents, this is interesting. For like where we live here in Cleveland, if you were to go to Niagara Falls, it'd be about the same distance that they're going to be spread around. The, they're going to go to a different place. Geographically, they're going to be in a completely unknown territory. And, and, and I, I would guess that the possibility for them in that painful time period, the temptation would be to feel isolated, to feel alone, to be neglected. But the first point this morning that's going to flow out of the text is when we're with the Lord, we are never alone. When we're with the Lord, we're never alone. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forsaken us. In fact, this image, I'll ask the, the kick back to the slide with the surfer. I, I think as the waves of life hit us, for some of us, we have the tendency to get stuck underneath them, right? That undertow pulls us under and, and we don't know how to, to survive them. But, but today what we see, and we're going to see this through Barnabas and his life, is that, that actually I believe God has designed us to do something that, that in the midst of really challenging things, that he actually gives us the opportunity to thrive in the midst of those things. He doesn't promise us no waves though. And I don't know where that has crept into the church. The, the idea that if I'm following God, that my life is going to be easy is not the case for what he taught the disciples. It's not the case for what Jesus experienced in his own life. And it's never been the promise of Christianity that, that you come to Christ, everything's solved. Actually, what he says to us is he is going to be with us through the chaos of life. He's going to be the eye of the storm. He's going to be the one that's with us. And there's people today, I, I've been around a few of them recently, and it's so encouraging to me that they're Christ followers, that, that when you're with them, you just recognize they're not getting destroyed by these storms, these waves. These, they're actually able to, in the fullness of their understanding of what God's doing in their life, they're able to thrive in the midst of it. They're able to live the abundant life. And here, what we see in the text is that that this, this painful problem would lead to something incredible. Some of us, when we think of this word scattering, we think of this as just a past tense problem, persecution in the church. But it's important for us to know that today, we're told that there are more Christians being persecuted around the world than have been in the history of the world. Let me share with you some sobering statistics. That today, over 260 million individuals that associate with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to experience high levels of persecution. That's one out of every nine people. These are people in countries like North Korea, Nigeria, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, and India. Places that, that historically may, some of them have not been places where Christians were being persecuted, but today they are. Almost 9,500 churches or church buildings were damaged are destroyed. That comes down to being almost 25 a day statistically destroyed. In China alone, during this time period, which um, they took this survey between November 1st of 2018 to October 31st of 2019, it's just a year's time. In that time period, in China alone, there were 5,576 churches or church buildings that were destroyed because of the fact that they were Christian. 
because they associated with the name of Christ. Now, you might think that that would destroy the church, right? You might think that that might be something that would hold it down. You think of a country that Ali and I love. We had the privilege of speaking to pastors in a country called Burkina Faso. It made the list this last year as being the 10th most persecuted church around the world with at least 50 building, church buildings, structures destroyed because people were associating with Christ. They're experiencing direct persecution because of the fact that they're Christ followers. 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith. 3,711 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned, according to Open Doors USA. You, you read these, these things, and it, it reminds you, the Apostle Paul said, do not forget my chains. Remember my chains. There's, there's brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world that, that daily risk using, losing their lives because of their faith. But you'd think maybe that that would make them be silent about their faith, right? You'd think it might make them want to hide their faith. But in fact, what's happening around the world is in places like this, the gospel is thriving. People are actually embracing the message of the gospel. The gospel is growing. I, I love this book. If you get a chance to read it, it's called The Insanity of God. Um, the, the author, his name is Nick Ripkin, and uh, that's actually a pseudonym, but because the man who wrote this is in a country where um, it would be very difficult for him to have his real name on the title of a book. And I want you to hear some of the quotes that he shares in this book. One that really encourages me, talking about suffering and persecution. He says, suffering is one of God's ordained means for the growth of his church. He brought salvation to the world through Christ, our suffering Savior. And he now spreads salvation in the world through Christians as suffering saints. In the words of Paul, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Clearly, there is a sense in which the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. Th that phrase is saying that something was happening. That, that when, when we understand our faith in Christ and we put ourselves out there, there's a risk that's associated with it. But what's beautiful about it is God hasn't forgotten us. In fact, people who've placed their faith and trust in the midst of that time in the Lord Jesus Christ have found themselves to thrive in the midst of even great persecution. If you, um, if you could travel to these places that we just mentioned, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and the the old days, you'd know that they fit, sit on the land that is present-day Lebanon. Cyprus was about 100 miles off the coast. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman-occupied world. I think sometimes in America we talk about uh, the morality and the challenges that are in our country. But, but this time period in Antioch, that ancient place was known as kind of like their Vegas. It was known as a haven for pleasure seekers, criticized as a cesspool of debauchery. Um, in fact, uh, it was known for its worship of uh, Daphne, whose temple was just a few miles outside of town. And the Roman writer Juvenal said this about that place. He said um, that the sewage of Antioch was so corrupt that it was impacting Rome. And Rome was about 1,300 miles away. So it was known for being a debauched place. And, and here, Christians have been dispersed to this place. You'd expect that it would make their light shine less bright, that they'd hide, they'd go behind. But actually what happens, you guys have had this experience, I hope, where you've been in a, in a place where there's no light pollution, where you can see the stars, and, and the stars are crystal clear. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
in the absence of light, you can see the, the lights, the stars shine brighter. And you don't just see that first layer of stars, right? But you see the second and the third layers. And, and you just find yourself in awe because what's happening, that same amount of light is there to be seen. But now in the absence of the pollution that's around it or the other things, you can actually see it in its full brightness. And I think that's what happened in this time period in history. The, the gospel is going to come into a really dark place and it's going to thrive. It's going to shine. Look what it says in the text. It says, um, it says that in the hand of God in verse 21 was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. And he was glad. He, he could physically see the fact that God was at work in the lives of these people. And the rumor was that these people who were dispersed from Jerusalem. Remember, Barnabas is still in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, striving to represent the love of Christ there. And, and the church is growing. They, they see this happening up north in this area. And so they send Barnabas to go check it out. And when he gets there, he sees the grace of God. He's filled with joy. And he exhorted them to remain faithful, and to, uh, faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Just love that phrase. To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I can't help but believe that some people today have lost their purpose, that they've forgotten that they have a purpose today. I read a really interesting article that, that was done by the Pew Research, and the, and the article interviewed a number of people to figure out how they're getting through the pandemic. And they asked people about their faith. It was a, a nonprofit secular group. So uh, they were just curious, how are you getting through this? And, and um, this, might, this might not shock you or it might shock you, but the 90% of American Christians say the way that they're getting through the pandemic is Netflix. <laughs> Netflix and relax is what it said. So you, you look at this and you say, wow, that's interesting. So now I'm, I don't, I don't want to, you know, you know, deceive you all. I, I like a good Mandalorian. I like to, you know, watch a, a good Baby Yoda, whatever it is on Netflix. But, but to understand the question that was asked was, how are you getting through this? And the answer was, well, we really are just locking down and we're entertaining ourselves. And, and you can't help but put yourself in this historical experience where these people had lost everything, but what they chose to do in the midst of that was to maintain their God-given purpose. And I think we've lost some of that today. I think we've lost some of our sense of God-given purpose that, that God's called us to do something. We still have work to do. That there's things that he's given us the privilege to do, to be light in a dark world. And so to find ourselves, they, they had other things, like how often do you pray? How often do you attend church? What's your, and, and all of those statistically are just percentages of what it was before all of this hit, which is incredible to me. So, so what people have chosen to do is they've chosen to say, well, I'm just gonna entertain myself right now. What's incredible about that is it doesn't give you anything back, does it? <laughs> that it's empty. Think of that pothole, empty fillers of that pot. There's nothing, it's empty. It's still not functioning in the way that it was designed to function. And here, what we see is that these people, they, they remained faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They'd maintained their God-given purpose amidst this disruption. Can't help but think that that for, for some people, that this crisis has been an excuse to just really do nothing, 
And I just don't see that in God's word. I don't think it's what he's asked for us to do. In fact, when the going gets tough, I think there's a part of this that he said, join me in what I want to do. This leads us to the second main point this morning, that, that we have to stop retreating. We have to understand that being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit is a recipe for abundant living. Full of faith, understanding that God can be taken at his word. Full of the Spirit. In God's word, it says that we ought to be saturated with the Holy Spirit in our lives. That, it, that we're called to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. You understand what that means? Is it means that we say, God, you, we want you to, to be the most important thing about us, that our lives are saturated with us. We turn away from sin that would steal away the joy of the presence of the living God within us. And Barnabas was one of those guys. He lived that out. He was so filled with the Spirit and so filled with faith that he was a person that you loved to be around. In fact, he would have been a man who was filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We all want to be around people like that, right? But, but the way that that happened was not because he tried harder, but because God was at work inside of his life, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was living out the, the very thing that God had designed for him. It says this in verse 24. It describes him beautifully. This is, man, I, I hope that people could say this about me someday, is that it says, for he was a good man, full of the Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So, so Barnabas went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul. This is, this is subtle, but it's really important to catch. There's a huge growth that happens in the church. So much so that, that, that there's this understanding that maybe it was overwhelming for Barnabas. It was overwhelming for the church. And so what he does is he goes and he finds Saul and Tarsus. Saul, we know his story. He had converted to Christ. He was a persecutor. He was there at the point where Stephen was, was um, put to death. And now he's gone through this radical transformation. The enemy of God is now a servant of God. And some believe that during this time period, historically, that he would have been abandoned by his Jewish family, that he would have, been going, he would have gone through what, what he says in 2 Corinthians 11 was a time of great affliction. According to Philippians 3.8, that his family had probably turned their back on him at this point. And he's, he's in a very difficult time in his history. And Barnabas, this older believer, finds him. And he says, there's work to be done. We got work to do. And he joins Barnabas. They go back and we're told that for the next year, they, they serve the Lord together in this place. And I can't imagine what happened there. What we do know is that the work of Barnabas at some point is going to be eclipsed by the work of the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was a man who Barnabas chose to pour into his ministry, to inspire him into his God-given purpose. And we get to see it play out right in front of us. And, and it's so encouraging to see. It says, um, it says in verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church. They taught a great many people. So here they're doing this together. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But this is the first time recorded in scripture, one of three times where that term Christian is used. And here we see that, that they're called something that is going to radically change the course of the church in the future. They're called Christians. Just want to remind you this morning that full people lack nothing. Here, Barnabas was a man who was full. He's a man that was a utensil used by his God, and God gave him a great purpose. And he actually got to be a part of some pretty incredible things. 
because of the fact that he believed that God was still at work in his life. And what happened here is that the church grows. We're in a a beautiful time in its history, even though it was really, really difficult. A a third point that flows directly out of the text as we go verse by verse here is that, that there's a recognition that news about the pain of others should be a call to action, not a call to retreat. What we see in the text in verse 27 is that um, there, there's a recognition that there's other members of the church that are suffering. It says this, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Now, what we know historically is that this took place in the days of Claudius, that, that he had a vision from God. It reminds me of Joseph in the Old Testament when he had been warned by God that there was going to be a time of great, uh, great suffering and that people were going to suffer. And instead of ignoring this, what they chose to do is to take it very seriously. And historically, we're told that in the time of Claudius in AD 41 through 54, there was a huge famine that spread across the Roman Empire. And so there was a warning. God had spoken. In verse 29, it says this, they, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. It's an important sentence. What it's saying there is that they saw the pain of others and they didn't just lament it, but they actually committed themselves to doing something about it. What, What they chose to do was to see their own resources. Do you see that phrase there, what it says in the text? It says, they did according to his own ability. What they chose to do was to to see what they themselves possessed, and they were going to generously give this out of the goodness of their heart. This was something else where we're told in Scripture that God doesn't love us to give grudgingly or out of necessity, but that he loves a cheerful giver. Let me remind you, church, this morning that God doesn't lack anything. He, he, he doesn't, his bank account isn't low on funds right now. That, in fact, we remember when Jesus talked about paying taxes that he actually literally plucked a coin out of a fish's mouth. Isn't that incredible? He says that he has the cattle on a thousand hills. He's doing just fine. But when he encourages us to be people who give um, generously, what, what that means in sacrificially is it means that we find ourselves being people who allow ourselves to see our possessions from God's perspective, that they were never our possessions, right? That we can't take them with us, but that it's our privilege to see even what we have ourselves as something that Lord has provided for us to, to bless someone else with. Can't help but think for many of us that that, that, that this is one of those time periods with so many unknowns around us that, that we can kind of look at our own pain and our own struggles and say, well, maybe I need to. But, but what they modeled for us, this early church did, is that they didn't know what the next year was going to look like, but what they modeled for us was that, that their stuff was not going to own them, but that they were going to see their things as a means to bless other people. And what ended up happening was something very positive. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So they collected these funds. We don't know if it was all money. It could have been other things. They gave selflessly, sacrificially. Kind of think of the little boy with his fishes and loaves. They're they're giving what they have. And then uh, what we see in verse 30 is they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
Uh, this phrase, to the elders, is important, that in the earliest church, the way that church leadership worked is that it wasn't just one pastor or one person who led the church, but there was a plurality of leaders. At Hope Church, we have a group of elders that are godly men that help to lead our church. And it is interesting to see here in the text that this gift was sent by the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch, to its leaders. And it was entrusted into their care to distribute according to God's will. And, and here, what happens, verse 22 is really interesting, um, that in verse 22, if we look back, that there was this report that came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They heard it. They paid attention to the need. They embraced this, and then they be a part of what God's doing. Back in the book, by um, Insanity of God, by this Nick Ripkin, the he has this quote, and I think it's helpful for us. He says, one of the most accurate ways to detect and measure the activity of God is to note the amount of opposition that is present. It's a great phrase, isn't it? That, that, that we've somehow confused this to think, if I'm doing everything right, everything's going to be easy for me. Actually, what he's saying here is was we're told that this is a spiritual battle that we're in, and if we're doing things right, we're actually going to experience some level of opposition. But here, what we see is a collaborative act that, that combined together has a, a tremendous impact for the sake of the kingdom. That they engage in what God's doing. And what happens is the result is this, this church is blessed. This is also, um, you remember we read this in the text, the first time that the term Christian is used in God's word. Now, that phrase probably was used by Romans mockingly a little bit, that, that it was a description. Before this, Christians were described in multiple names, but here it's coined for the first time. And this first word, it's interesting to unpack this. The first portion of that word is Christ. This was the Greek name for the Jewish term Messiah, the Jewish anointed one. So here they are understanding that there was this this description of one who would come that would be the anointed one that would offer salvation for the world. And hear what they say that kind of mockingly is Christ, the Greek name for Messiah. And then the Latin suffix of that is ani or of. So here the description is of Christ. These people, we're going to label them the of Christ people, the, the ones who are associated with Christ. And that name would take root in such a way that it would define a group of people who claim to be followers of the living God, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help but, but reflect on this powerful statement that historically Alexander the Great once learned that in his army there was a young man who was named after him who was known to be quite a coward. And Alexander the Great, who conquered the world when he was just 23 years old, he called the soldier before him and he said, is your name Alexander and are you named after me? And the trembling coward said, yes, sir, my name is Alexander and I was named for you. The great general said, then either be brave or change your name. <laughs> Isn't that great? That God exhorts us, you know, to be people who understand when we associate with the name of Christ that he's saying to us, be brave or stop associating with his name. Follow his calling or, or misunderstand the fact that, that we, have, we have the privilege to be salt and light to a world that desperately needs it. And this is a hard quote that comes out of the book. We don't have it on the slide, but I want you to hear this. He says this statement in the book. He says, those who number themselves among the followers of Jesus 
but don't witness for him. They don't live in the calling that God has placed in their life. They're actually siding with the Taliban, the brutal regime that rules North Korea, the secret police in communist China, and the Somalis and the Saudi Arabias of the world. Believers who do not share their faith aid and abet Satan's ultimate goal of denying others access to Jesus. He says this, our silence makes us accomplices. Isn't that a powerful quote? This morning, what we've seen in God's word is we've seen a story of a group of people who are going through a really difficult time. But their response wasn't to be under the waves, to be destroyed by it, to give up, to concede, to entertain themselves, or to just go underground. But instead, what they chose to do was they chose to live into the fullness of their calling. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as we close our time out. And I just want to remind you of the truth of John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Interestingly, that's what, what it seems like. Dark, what darkness wanted to do in those days was to squelch out the light of the gospel, and it had no success. And, and this morning, I want to challenge you with a few questions to apply this truth in our lives. The first one is this recognition that God's light shines the brightest in the darkness. And, and then the question for you is, what do you believe those around us need in these unprecedented days? And in what ways do you and I possess it? I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I think we're going to get a sign that we put outside of Hope Church that's going to say something like, hope found here. And, and the reason I believe that is that we are people who found hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to be people who are living billboard of that simple truth. The second thing is that those who evangelize Antioch were not people who we know their names. In fact, Barnabas came in after the fact. These were unnamed Christians who had been dispersed and who honored the message of the gospel. And I, and I don't know what motivated them to do so, but I believe that they were motivated by a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question for you is, what would motivate you yourself to do so? And then the final question is, is the Lord asking you to help encourage someone to fulfill their God-given purpose? Barnabas did it with the Apostle Paul. You and I have the privilege of doing it with others. Maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our families, maybe it's siblings, maybe it's others. God's put a purpose in your life. It's time for you to understand it and for you to live it. I'm going to ask you to close this time out with me in prayer. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word that's your living word. Lord, I thank you that you know our stories. And I, I just want to pray for our church family as we um, continue to end this service in a time of worship. I just want to remind each one of us that we were made for more than just enjoying life. We were made for more than just being entertained, but that we were made to be people who fulfill our God-given purpose today. Thank you for the examples of that in your word. And I just want to pray for each and every person that's here, that they would be reminded of the fact that you love them, that you designed them on purpose and for a purpose, that you know their history, but you also know their future. And I pray that we would be people who understand and live out what it means to be full people who lack nothing. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.